breathing in, I know that uh, the retreat is still there, going on. Breathing out, I smile to the retreat. We believe that uh, the retreat will, will last until after lunch today, and then the retreat will die. But is it possible for the retreat to die? The answer is no. The retreat will continue. We have uh, mindfulness and concentration. We will see the continuation of the retreat, not in this form, but the retreat will continue. This is a meditation. Uh, from time to time, uh, a man or a woman go stop and ask the question, what happens after I die? When my body disintegrates, what will happen to me? Where shall I go? And in what form? Or is it a real end of me? So that question everyone has asked, or is going to ask. But we do not have enough time in order to stop, in order to look deeply into that matter of, uh, of uh, death, birth and death. And meditation takes up this uh, subject as one of the most important subjects of meditation. And many people believe that after the dissolution of this body, there is nothing left, including a number of scientists. Other scientists, they don't believe that uh, the dissolution of this body is the end of our life. In fact, uh, many scientists, many good ones, have discovered that uh, there is nothing that that will die, that will disappear, that will pass from the realm of being into non-being. Like that uh, French scientist uh, Lavoisier, he said, rien ne se crée, rien ne se tout se transforme. It means uh, nothing is created out of nothing. Nothing can die and become nothing. Everything is changing, transforming, and that is very good uh, meditation. Although he did not claim to be a practitioner of meditation, but he did very well. <laughs> he saw into the nature of reality, and because of that they have discovered the law called uh, the law of conservation of matter, the law of conservation of energy. You cannot create new matter from nothing. You cannot uh, create energy, new energy from nothing. And you cannot make matter disappear altogether into nothing. You cannot uh, make energy disappear into nothing. And that is why that is good, what good science has uh, proclaimed. So according to that uh, insight of science, 
There is no beginning. There is no end of anything. And the notion of beginning and ending, the notion of birth and death, have to be re-examined. And this is a scientist who is speaking, and not a, a, a Buddhist or a, or a Christian or a, a spiritual practitioner. He said, nothing is created. There is no creation. Nothing can die. There is no destruction. It is impossible for something to come from nothing into being. There is nothing that can pass from the realm of being into the realm of non-being. That's a good science. And when we, uh, we look at a cloud, we can see. Let us uh, speak about uh, the birth of a cloud. To be born in our hand, in our head, we think to be born is from nothing you suddenly become something. That's our definition of birth. From no one you suddenly become someone. And that's our idea of uh, birth, which cannot be ascribed to uh, to the cloud before, because before the cloud manifests herself as a cloud, she had been something else. She has not had not come from nothing. She came from the water vapor. She came from the ocean, the heat generated by the sun. And it's very sure, very certain that uh, the cloud has had not come from nothing. It already, it was already there before it manifests as a cloud. So there's no birth. There's only a change of form from the water in the ocean, from the heat generated by the sun. You know, a cloud manifests itself. Now, if we ask the question as whether a cloud can die, we can easily say that no, it's impossible for a cloud to die. A cloud can become snow, or rain, or ice, or other things. But it is impossible for a cloud to become nothing. Nothing can be destroyed. So that is uh, true with the human being. We have not been really born before. Before we were born from our mother, we had been there. <laughs> you know that uh, before you were born from your mother, you have uh, spent about nine months in your mother. So the birth certificate is not very correct. <laughs> you have to push back at least nine months to the day of uh, conception, right? And yet it's not uh, true either. 
because before the day of, uh, of uh, conception, you had already existed half in your father and half in your mother. So that was not the beginning. This is a, con- a moment of continuation. The moment of conception is the moment of continuation. The moment of death, of birth, is also a moment of continuation. And if you look deeply, the moment of dying is also a moment of continuation. Because if something disappears in its form, a new thing will appear in a new form. If uh, the cloud disappears, rain will appear, or snow will appear. There's no death. The nature of the cloud is the nature of no birth and no death. And that is applied to anything. And uh, looking deeply into the nature of uh, matter and energy, people see that. We can very well transfer energy, but we cannot destroy energy and make it disappear altogether. Today, science has uh, found out that uh, energy is matter, and matter is a form of energy. And when we look into our uh, our own person, we have to see ourselves in terms of energy. In fact, uh, the distinction between uh, Energy and matter should be re-examined. We should not think that energy is something different from matter, and matter is not something other than energy. They are two, but they are one. Matter can become energy, and energy can become matter. And we should remove that uh, discrimination between energy and matter. We should also remove the distinction, the discrimination between uh, mind and matter, mind and spirit. We think, we think body, the body is one thing, and the, and the mind, the spirit, is just another thing. And these two things can exist separately, and that is not the truth. It is like matter and energy, mind and body, lean on each other to express themselves. And mind is a matter of body, is a, a kind of body, and body is a kind of mind. It's like energy and matter. Energy is matter and matter is energy, mind is body, and body is mind. And that needs some training in order for us to see.
And in our daily life, we produce a lot of energy, good energy or bad energy. Suppose you produce a thought, you produce a, an idea, and we produce thoughts all day long. And our thoughts may be full of anger or fear or despair or discrimination. And when you produce a thought full of anger and fear and despair, that thought may be very harmful to your to yourself and to the world. A thought of despair may lead someone to commit suicide. So that is very strong energy. Our thinking is energy and we generate that energy all day long. And that is why we have to learn how to produce the kind of thoughts that are not negative like that. We can learn to produce thoughts of understanding and compassionate and love and non-discrimination. When you, when you are capable of pro, pro, producing a thought of uh, understanding and compassion, that thought will nourish yourself and begin to heal yourself and heal the world. And if you continue to produce thoughts of healing and compassion all day long, you help heal us and heal the world. And thinking is already action. That's energy. That is the kind of energy that we generate in our daily life. And then when we we say something. What we say is also energy. What we say can make a people, can make a man suffer and go and kill himself. So what we say can say may be full of uh, toxins and violence and so on. What we say may create misunderstanding and fear and anger and hate. And that destroys us and destroys the world. And that is why we have to practice uh, right speech, loving speech, which is uh, the object of uh, the fourth mindfulness training. We have to learn to produce uh, the kind of speech that can be full of understanding and compassion. And as soon as we can say something like that, very kind, very nice, that help us to feel better in ourselves and help the other person to feel uh, good within himself or herself. You can write a letter of understanding and love. You can pronounce a mantra of understanding and of love to heal ourselves and to heal the world. And that is the second kind of energy that we can produce in our daily life. You use your computer and you write an email. And if your email is full of understanding and uh, compassion, you can encourage the other person. You can make, can make him happy and hopeful and uh, remove his uh, fear and uh, anger. That is right speech. That is good action. And as a practitioner of meditation, you can, you can produce that kind of speech several times a day. You have the power to do that. And then 
the third kind of energy that we produce is uh, by our bodily action. The way we eat, the way we work, the way we consume can help the world or destroy the world. By our physical action, we can protect life. We can uh, save. We can support. We can uh, mm, uh, bring relief and make the world suffer less. You can make people around you suffer less. You can help uh, species not to uh, disappear. You can help the environment. And that kind of action, physical action, is good energy, positive, full of understanding and compassion. Or you might kill, you might destroy, you might uh, ruin the environment. Uh, you might commit you might commit crime that is also uh, the kind of energy you produce and that uh, make you suffer and make the world suffer so so energy the energy that we create in our daily life is our action and in in the Buddhist tradition uh, that action is called karma ki k a r M-A, karma. Karma means action. And action has uh, three aspects, triple action. Mind producing thought, mouth producing speech, and body producing action, triple actions. And we can see ourselves and the value of ourselves in terms of our action. The French uh, novelist, philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, he said something very close to this. He said, L'homme est la somme de ses actions. Man is the sum of his acts, his actions. What he thinks, what he says, what he does, that is him. And this is very true. We are not only this body. We are not only these feelings and perceptions. We are the energy that we produce in terms of thought, in terms of speech, and in terms of action. And these energies will continue us always, always. Even after the dissolution of this body, our action continues, our karma continues. And we will manifest in different forms. We continue always. We can never die like a cloud. And I hold my tea in my two hands.
with mindfulness. I'm here and now. My mind is not carried away to the past or the future. I am established in here and now. That is holding my tea and looking in my tea. I can see many things. Like in my tea, there is a cloud. The cloud I saw yesterday in the sky. She is no longer there today. I don't say that it has died, no, because it is impossible for a cloud to die. So mighty is a new manifestation of the cloud. So I can see, hello, my my little cloud, I know you are still there. Thank you for coming to me and help me. So you can smile to your cloud. And I can see the tea that is grown in the hills of North Vietnam. Some of the tea leaves are in here, and the fragrance has come into, and it is a combination between a cloud and a hill of tea. So I get in touch. And I know my tea is a continuation of a cloud and of the hue of tea in, the, in Vietnam. And after I drink this tea, the tea will continue into my blood. And it, become, it might become this afternoon a poem. I Dharma talk. So that is the continuation of the tea. And it is a beautiful continuation. You are a cloud. You become the tea and you become a poem. You always continue. You cannot die. <coughs> and that is why it's possible for us to continue beautifully by taking care of our three forms of action. Let us learn how to produce only the thoughts of compassion and understanding. Let us uh, produce only the kind of uh, speech that can support, help, encourage. Let us uh, uh, do only the things that have the power to protect, to save, to support, to help. And that is possible when you have compassion and insight into you your heart. When you produce a thought, that thought bears your signature. Whether that is a thought of hate, or fear, or anger, it has your signature in it, because it is you who have produced that thought, and it is your continuation. And that is not a good continuation. And when you produce a thought of understanding and forgiveness, 
non-discrimination, loving kindness. That thought also carries your signature. You cannot say that it's not your thought. It is your continuation, and it is a good continuation. What if uh, yesterday I have produced a negative thought? Suppose yesterday I, I produced a thought of, uh, of anger, of fear, of jealousy, and I don't want to continue like that. So what is the solution? It has my signature. I cannot say that, no, I have not produced that thought. No, the fact is that I did produce that thought. So today, in sitting meditation, I reviewed what has happened yesterday. I, I don't want to continue like that. So, establishing myself in the here and the now, I want to produce a thought of an opposite nature. I want to produce a thought of compassion, understanding that is worth me. And I can do that. And that as soon as I have produced the thought of compassion and understanding, that thought catch up right away with the other thought of yesterday and help neutralize the thought of yesterday. So we don't have to, uh, to carry with us always the feeling of guilt. Because yesterday, or before yesterday, you may have said something not kind. You may have done something not very compassionate, com- compassionate, and today we regret. And that kind of uh, guilt follow us for a long time. But we don't need to carry that guilt. There is a practice that can help us delete neutralize what was done and said in the past by producing a thought or a speech that is in the direction of right thinking and right speech. And this thought will be able to neutralize the thought of yesterday. And I'm free. I don't have to carry my guilt into the future. Suppose uh, suppose uh, I had said something not kind to my grandma, but now she is no longer there for me to apologize. <laughs> I may think that it's too late to. Uh, to say something. But in this teaching, in this practice, if you establish yourself in the present moment, you see that your grandma is still alive in you. Your grandma has transmitted herself to your mom, and your mom has transmitted herself to you. So so in every cell of your body, your grandma is still there. So with that uh, vision, with that insight, you say, Grandma, I know you are there in every cell of my body. I'm sorry to have said something like that to you. 
several years ago. I promise that from now on I will not say such a thing to anyone. And as soon as you produce that thought, you can see your grandma smiling in you and you are free. And this is the practice of mindfulness. It can ambush guilt, it can remove guilt, because you have the power to change even the past. And you have the power to build the future right here and now. You don't need to go to the future in order to build the future. You are grounded in the present moment, and you build the future right in the present moment. So there are three kinds of energy that we, that we produce every day and that will continue us into the future even after the dissolution of this body. It's very clear. And that can be, that is a not a theory, that can be verified. It's, it's like in the case of uh, a cloud. Scientifically, you can say that it's impossible for a cloud to die. A cloud can become snow or rain or ice or tea or poetry, but not, not, uh, not nothing. So we are holding our future in our, in our two hands. It means in our power to generate energy. We are energy. And uh, the question is whether we know the art of uh, producing good energy, positive energy. Because sometimes you want to produce good energy but instead you produce bad energy. You are carried away by your fear, your anger, and you do things that you do not want to do. There are things you don't want to say. There are things you do not want to do, and yet when the situation comes, you still do it, you still say it, and you create suffering for you and for the other person. And you said, that is stronger than me. That is why we have to learn in order not to let that kind of energy to carry us away. We have to produce the kind of energy that can help us to do only what we want to do. To say what we only want to say. And that is um, the practice of cultivating insight. Insight is uh, right view. Right view is uh, the foundation of right thinking, right speech, and right action.
right view is uh, the insight, the wisdom of uh, interbeing that uh, that is free from all uh, discrimination. Because uh, discrimination and separation has created a lot of suffering. And this morning we begin. We have begun to to talk about discrimination, discrimination between matter and energy. Matter and energy are not two separate things. Two things that can exist separately from each other. We spoke about the discrimination between body and mind. We think body is one thing and mind is another thing. But in fact, body and mind, they inter Without body, there is no mind. Without mind, there is no body. And we need uh, deep uh, looking meditation in order to transcend that kind of, uh, of uh, discrimination. And the day, yes, before yesterday, we have used uh, the, the um, the example of the sheet of paper. And uh, we talk about the left and the right. The left and the right are not the two things that can be separated from each other. The left need the right in order to be. The right needs the left in order to be. You cannot separate the, the two. You cannot say, dear friend, can you take the left and go to Dublin? <laughs> and I go take the right to go to Belfast? No. They must be always together. Without one, the other cannot be. The above and the below is the same. If you confirm the existence of the above, you have to confirm the existence of the below. They inter Without one, the other cannot be. And uh, everything is like that, including our happiness. Suppose a couple living together. If uh, one person suffers, there's no way that the other person can be happy. Suppose a father and son. In the father and son relationship, if the son suffers deeply, there's no way that the father can be happy. If the father suffers deeply, there's no way that the son can be happy. That is why what the son can do in order to make his father suffer less he does it for himself also. And what the father can do to make his son happy, he does that to himself also. So things are related. That is interbeing. 
you cannot be by yourself alone. You must interbe with everything else in the cosmos. When we uh, look into a flower, we see that uh, the flower is made only of non-flower elements. We see it's a cloud in the flower. We cannot imagine a flower would be possible without a cloud, because if there is no cloud, there will be no rain and no flower can grow. That is why cloud is a a non-flower element. And without uh, that non-flower element cloud, a flower cannot be herself. So looking deeply into the flower, we see so many non-flower elements. Cloud, sunshine, uh, the soil, everything in the cosmos. So the flower cannot be by herself alone. The flower has to interbe with everything else in the cosmos. And our person, we cannot be by ourselves alone. We are made of non-us element. And in us there is uh, the father, the mother, the grandfather, the grandmother, ancestors, food, culture, education, everything. If we remove all these things, there is no us left. And that is why in Buddhism, uh, people use to use the word formation. Everything is formed by everything else. And this morning, when uh, we pay respect uh, to the Buddha, we were very careful. Because uh, we have to practice meditation before we can bow to the Buddha. We have to see the Buddha is made only of non-Buddha elements. And we see us as being made only of non-us elements. You know, yesterday we said Buddhism is made only of non-Buddhist elements. And the Buddha also is made <coughs> only of non-Buddha elements, including the element of suffering. Without suffering, you cannot make a Buddha. It is by looking deeply at the suffering that you can find understanding and the compassion that can make a Buddha. That is why suffering is one part of the Buddha. And when you look into the Buddha, you see suffering inside of him as an ingredient. It's like when you look at the lotus flower, you see the mud that nourishes the lotus. So the monks, the nuns, before they bow to the Buddha, they, they chanted, the one who bows and the one who is bowed to both, they are both in nature empty. It means, dear Buddha, we are about to bow to you, but we know that you are empty of a separate existence. You are made only of non-you element, and I am in you also, because uh, I am a non-you element. 
and suffering is a non-you element. You have all of us inside of you. If you remove all of us out of you, there's no you anymore. That is what we see when we see the Buddha. We look at the Buddha. Dear Buddha, you are made only of non-you element. And I know I am in you also. And that is the one who is bowed to. What about the one who is bowing? The one who, who bows is also made of non-him non or non-her element. And that is why the Buddha is in you. And you are in the Buddha. And when you see that you are in the Buddha and the Buddha is in you, you touch the nature of interbeing. You and the Buddha inter are. You are in him and he is in you. And when you saw that, you bow and communication is possible. If the Buddha is only Buddha and you only you, no communication is possible. And that is why without the insight of interbeing, right view, well, you cannot produce the kind of right thinking, right speech and right action that have the capacity to heal. You are still caught by discrimination between you and Buddha, you and Jesus. And that is the teaching of interbeing. You cannot be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with us. And this teaching is available in the Gospel. When you read John, he said something, he reported that Jesus said that there will be a day when you see I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That is the Christian version of interbeing. John fourteen twenty. <laughs> On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So that is the insight of uh, interbeing. And if you don't have that insight, you cannot easily connect with Jesus Christ and God. And with that insight, you are free from all discrimination and fear and separation. And compassion and understanding become possible. And that is what uh, in Buddhism they call uh, right view. Free of all discrimination. And because you have uh, that uh, insight of interbeing, you can 
naturally produce right thinking. And every thought that you produce based on the insight of interbeing is a thought of non-discrimination, a thought of uh, brotherhood, sisterhood, a thought of understanding, a thought of compassion that has the power to heal and to nourish. That is, that is why we need meditation in order to, to attain to touch the nature of interbeing. And uh, right thinking is possible. Every thought can be full of understanding and compassion. And also you can practice uh, right speech. What you say will full of uh, compassion, understanding and will help uh, you and the world to heal. And with the right view, you can practice uh, right action that can protect, that can support, that can save life, that can help the planet to continue for a long time. So these three kinds, three aspects of uh, action is the kind of energy that we produce every day. And it is our continuation. So when you look into your body, you don't see that your body, that you are only this body. No, you are much more than this body. Don't think that you are only in this direction. You are in the other direction. You are in the world. Every thought you have produced, every word you have pronounced, everything you have done, are there, still there, and bearing your signature. They are working together and produce your next manifestations. So look, you are already there. Suppose a cloud floating in the sky, looking down on earth. Half of it has become rain. So looking down, he sees the cloud, sees half of herself flowing as a, as a stream of water. And he looks and he recognizes himself and he say, hello, hello, myself, <laughs> down there. I'll join you very soon. You see? So we have a produce energy, action, thought, speech. And that is already there. And we will join later on. So we should not look uh, and see ourselves as only this body. If you look and you say, this is Thai, you are wrong. This is a very small part of Thai. His action, Thai's action is more than that. 
And with a little bit of concentration, mindfulness, you can say thai, see Thay a little bit everywhere in his students. Because he has produced quite a lot of, um, of uh, thought, of uh, speech, of action. That is uh, his continuation. That is having an impact in uh, his country, his people. So if you don't see that, if you think that Thay is only this uh, 50 kilograms, you are wrong. <laughs> so we have to look at ourselves like that. We don't see that uh, uh, we are not only this body. And that's this why, that is why when this body disintegrates, we are not in despair. We should not identify our, our, us with our body. Our body will be uh, just a little bit and go join us uh, later on also. Good right view, you can practice uh, right livelihood. You can have a job that can help uh, protect the, the planet, help us not to, not to cause damage uh, to uh, living beings. And we can be very happy uh, with that uh, means, with that uh, <coughs> livelihood, even if uh, we live in a smaller house, even if we have uh, a meager salary, but if we know that we are on the wood path, the path of understanding and love, we are much happier than those who have a lot of money have a lot of cars, a lot of uh, um, big house. Knowing that you are living on a path of compassion and understanding, happiness will be very great because you know that you will continue beautifully in the future. And then you practice uh, right uh, diligence. It means you steadily make progress on your on your spiritual path. And this is something very concrete. And it needs some. Uh, some uh, explanation.
When I was uh, a student at the Buddhist Institute, I learned about mind. And uh, in Buddhist tradition, we speak of consciousness and mind in terms of uh, seat, seats. Mind is made of uh, small particles. Called a seed. It means that uh, sometimes we don't see it, sometimes it is too small for us to see. But when it uh, it manifests, it can be very important like our anger or our compassion. We don't see, we have a seat of anger in us, but we don't see. It is uh, down there in our consciousness, a seat of anger. We can be laughing and having a good time. We are not angry at all, but the seat of anger is there the potential. If someone come and say something, or do something, and touch the seat of anger in us, it will manifest as the energy of anger, and we lose all our happiness, we become red, we want to punch. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to confirm that the seat of anger is in our consciousness. And we have uh, many negative seeds like that, like uh, despair, fear, jealousy, and so on. And every time they manifest, we suffer, and we make the people we love suffer. And we do have uh, positive seeds, like the seed of compassion, the seed of uh, loving-kindness, the seat of uh, forgiveness, the seat of joy, the seat of peace in us. And if someone come and touch these seats and have them manifest, we are happy. And we can make them happy also. So when I was a young student of Buddhism, I had to memorize the names of these seats. There are 51. <laughs> And later on, I discover a dozen more. And our diligence practice is to is to arrange so that the good seeds will be touched and water often in our daily life. We are in so that the, the bad seeds will have no chance to manifest. And that is the practice of diligence. We have to organize an environment where we have a plenty of chance for our good seeds to be watered. It's like uh, organizing a retreat like this. 
in four days in a row, many good sitanas have been watered, right? And we be happy, and we are happier, calmer, more compassionate, because uh, in four days, we choose only to water the good seeds in us, right? So creating an environment is very important. And that is why we are urged to set up a group of practitioners, create that environment for us and for our children. And in that environment, well, the bad seeds do not have much chance to manifest. So in in Buddhist psychology, we speak of mind as having at least two layers. This is a consciousness, and this is a lower part of consciousness. It's called a store. And this upper part is called mind, mind consciousness. Well, it can be compared somehow to a computer. And this is the hard drive, and this is the screen. All the seats are stored here, and that is why uh, it's called store consciousness. The only difference between consciousness and the computer is everything in here are alive and changing in every moment. But in the computer they remain very much the same. This is a living seeds. But the information you store, the data you store in computer, they are not living entities. Here they are alive and they are changing every moment. So when the seat of anger is touched, water, it manifests up here as energy. Down here we call it seat, but up here we call it a mental formation. Mental formation. And there are 51 categories of seeds that can become 51 kinds of mental formation. And we are speaking about anger. So the first aspect of uh, true diligence is that we should organize in such a way that the, the negative seed, like anger and despair, do not have a chance to manifest. So the environment can turn them on. And that is why you have to choose a good uh, neighborhood to live. Because in a, you can be living in a neighborhood where people are so angry, so violent, and what they say, what they do might touch off the seed of violence and anger in you, and that is not good 
for you and for your, for, for your children. So creating an environment that you don't turn on the, the best in you is very important. This is the art of community building. And there are many of us who have the talent of creating communities so that we be in a good environment. So the first aspect of the practice is to not to allow the negative seeds a chance to manifest. And you can talk with your partner about this. Darling, you know that I have these negative seeds in me. If you say or do something that touch off this seed, I will suffer, and of course I will make you suffer. <laughs> so if you truly care for me, please refrain from watering the seed of jealousy and anger and despair in me. And darling, I promise the same. I know you do have these seeds, answer. So I promise from now on, I will never touch the seed of jealousy and, and fear and anger in you. And that is a, a peace treaty, a love treaty that you can, you can sign with your partner. And father and son, mother and daughter can sign that peace treaty also. And it would be good if you sign in front of a community like this. This morning, a few hundreds of us received the five mindfulness trainings. There is an advantage of taking the trainings in the presence of a community that has a powerful collective energy. You, you get the support of that uh, important uh, collective energy. You can very well uh, take the five trainings in front of uh, Jesus Christ uh, before the statue of Jesus Christ also. If your mind is decided to go in that direction of non-discrimination, of loving kindness and compassion, you can alone make the vow to practice the five trainings with your root teacher, Jesus Christ. And you can be a very happy practitioner also. But taking the training in, in the presence of, a, of a, a Sangha like this, you profit from the collective support of the Sangha. So we should talk to each other as how to help each other not to water the negative seed in us. Allow them to sleep there quietly. And if they sleep there quietly for a long time, they become weaker and weaker. Because when a seed, a negative seed, has too many chances to manifest here, 
down here, down there, it continues to grow. We have witnessed people who are very angry. And we know that 10 years ago, he was not angry like that. How come today he is so angry? The answer is that the seed of anger in him has been watered repeatedly in the last 10 years. So we have to be very careful not to water the negative seed in us and in the person we love. The second aspect of the teaching is that if by chance a negative seed manifests up there, try your best to invite him to go down <laughs> as quickly as possible. Because if it continues to be here, not only the landscape of the mind will not be beautiful, there's no joy, no happiness, but down there, it grows. So, if your beloved one, if you notice that a seed of anger or despair has manifested in your beloved one, you must be skillful. You must know how to help that seed in, in her, in him, to go back to its original place as soon as possible. That is why the practice is an art. It's not hard labor, it's a, you need skillfulness. And one of the ways that the Buddha recommends is to invite a good seed to come up. And if that seed is interesting, suppose you, you invite the seed of joy, of happiness to come up. And then that makes you happy. And then the other seat will naturally go back down here. That is uh, like uh, changing the CD. If the CD that is um, offering you some music that is not pleasant, why do you have to let it continue like that? You can change the CD. You have very many good cities down there. You have to know how to make good use of this good music that you have. Why do you stay there and continue to be a victim of that bad music? <laughs> so invite another city to come up <laughs> to replace the city. And that is what the Buddha proposed. So when you see your beloved one, victim of one negative city, uh, you can say, come and talk to her and help her, help uh, to bring up something beautiful, something joyful, and then suddenly she come out of that, uh, she get out of that uh, state of mind. And we support each other in our relationship. And that is part of the peace uh, treaty the love treaty. We need each other and we have each other. 
the third aspect of uh, the practice is that the good things in he, down there, you have to learn the way to to invite them to come up very often. And there are many ways to do so. To be in a good environment is very good. Like organizing a retreat like this, you have plenty of chance to water the seed of compassion, understanding, forgiveness in us. And this is possible. We need some intelligence, we need some uh, um, skillfulness in order to organize like that. So the third uh, aspect of the practice is to invite the good seeds down here, down there, to manifest up here as often as possible. And this is uh, possible at any moment. You have to make good use of the good seeds that are in us. One of the seeds down there is the kingdom, the seed of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is always available in the here and the now. And if uh, we know the practice of uh, mindfulness, of breathing, walking, going home to the here and the now, you can touch the seed of the kingdom inside of you and it will manifest. And there you can enjoy the kingdom of God in the here and the now with compassion and understanding. The kingdom is inside of you. You should not look for it uh, outside. And then the fourth, uh, the fourth aspect of delusions is that when a good seed has manifested, try your best to keep it there as long as you, you could. Because it, it will keep the landscape beautiful for a long time. It's like when you have a lovely friend visiting, you try to keep her, to keep him with you as long as possible. And this is possible. So this uh, is uh, the practice of uh, right delusions. And uh, it can uh, bring happiness. Right away. There is a practice called uh, the practice of uh, flower watering. We have a lot of flowers. And that is why you have to practice watering the flower and not watering the garbage. When, when you recognize the good seeds in him or in her, and if you touch the good seeds in him or her, 
they will manifest and they will make that person happy and you will profit right away. It does not take time. It, it is a matter of a few minutes. You can make him or her happy by practicing watering the flowers in him or in her. She may have a talent. Suppose she, she has the talent of uh, arranging flowers. And suppose you say, darling, it has been a long time you have not arranged flowers. Every time you arrange a pot of flowers that brings joy for many days in this house, that is watering the good seed. Maybe she say, I have no time, but half an hour later she goes to the garden and she begins to <laughs> cut some flowers. And during that time she's watering the seed by herself. And you started the work of watering. I remember one day uh, that is on the anniversary of the birth of the Buddha. In Plum Village, we organized uh, a Dhamma talk and uh, lunch. And a couple from Bokdo came and I gave uh, the teaching on uh, flower watering. And I saw a lady sitting in the crowd. She cried all the time from the beginning of the Dharma talk. After the talk, I went to her husband and I said, Dear friend, it seems that your flower needs some uh, watering. (laughs) I did not say more. (laughs) And he got the message. (laughs) So after lunch, he he was driving home uh, uh, to Bogdo and driving, and he practiced flower watering at the same time. The fact is that he knows the practice of water, uh, of flower watering, but he, he needs someone to remind him. He needs a teacher, he needs a brother or sister in the practice to remind him. And when they arrived home, she was completely transformed, and the children were very amazed. Because the morning when they started, she was not like that. She now is blooming like a flower. So watering the flower is a very effective practice. And every one of us should have the skill of watering the flower in for oneself and watering the flower for our beloved one. And that uh, you don't water the, the negative things. You only water the good things. And that practice is called in Plum Village the practice of selective watering.
and then with uh, right view with the with uh, the inside of interbeing you can practice right mindfulness and uh, mindfulness uh, always increase our concentration the practice of mindfulness and concentration help us to be aware of what is going on help us to uh, to handle uh, our body to handle our feelings With the practice of mindfulness, you can generate a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness. With the practice of mindfulness, you can handle a painful feeling, a painful emotion. And mindfulness always improve our power of concentration and if we have concentration we can make if we have a, a power powerful concentration we can very well make a breakthrough and touch the nature of interbeing and that is why the process of concentration is very important Concentration is concentration on something. And you may select the, the kind of concentration that we have the power to set you free. Free from anger, from craving, from despair. And that is why um, the fourth uh, the four last um, exercises of mindful breathing are uh, offering us offer us some uh, practice of concentration. So this is uh, the path of mindfulness proposed by the Buddha that can help us uh, produce. Uh, the insight of interbeing produce the kind of action that can assure a beautiful future and this is called in Buddhist tradition the noble eightfold path the path of non-discrimination the path of uh, true love and the five mindfulness trainings are a very concrete uh, expression of this uh, a noble uh, a uh, full path noble a full path on, on the second day of the retreat we have uh, we have learned about uh, the first uh, 
exercise of mindful breathing. The first one is to identify our in-breath and out-breath, to be with them. The second is to follow our in-breath and out-breath all the way through. The third is to be aware of our body. And the fourth is to release the tension in the body. And then we go to the, we pass into the fifth, which is uh, generating a feeling of joy. The sixth, generating happiness. The seven is uh, to uh, to be aware of uh, a painful feeling. We have to be there for our pain, to take care, to handle the painful feeling and emotion. And the eight is to to calm down the pain and get a relief. And today we can uh, continue with the nine exercise of mindful breathing. The first four is for the body. The second four is for the feelings. The next four, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, is for the mind. Mind, feeling, body. The nine is to contemplate our mind, our mind in terms of mental formation. Every time there is one seat manifesting up there, the practitioner should be able to recognize a mental formation and call it by its true name. If it is anger, we say, hello, anger. I know you are there. I will take care of you. If it is jealousy, you have to say, Hello, my jealousy. I know you are there. I will take care of you. Recognizing the mental formation and call it by its true name. This this is the practice of simple recognition of uh, mental formations. Whether they are negative or positive, if they are Love, understanding, forgiveness. We should also, we should also uh, recognize, identify it, recognize mental formation. The tenth is. Uh, to invite the good, the good mental formation to manifest. In the sutra, in the scripture, it is uh, gladdening our mind. 
touch the good mental formation, the good seeds, and help uh, the positive mental formation to manifest, to produce joy and happiness, because we all need nourishment and healing. And the eleventh one is concentrating. the mind, and the twelve is liberating the mind. The mind here may mean anger or fear or despair. After having concentrated on the the mental formation and discover the true nature of that mental formation, the roots of, of it, we will be able to liberate ourselves from that mental formation. <clears throat> and this is found in the scripture called the practice of mindful breathing. Now we come to the fourth, uh, the last four exercises. Concerning perception, it means the object of our mind. Thirteen is uh, contemplating impermanence. Impermanence. Impermanence as uh, not as uh, an idea, a notion, but as uh, a fact. And this is uh, to maintain the insight of impermanence. We know that things are changing and they don't retain the same aspect forever. And that is why you have to recognize that things are impermanent. Although things never disappear, things always continue, but they are impermanent. Today it may be a cloud, but tomorrow it may be the tea, and after tomorrow it may be a poem. So we have uh, to keep in mind that things are impermanent and to preserve that inside alive. Many of us understand impermanence and agree that everything is impermanent, but we, can, we still live and behave as if things are permanent. We think that our our child will be our child forever. Our partner will be like that forever. But uh, we are changing. So if you are, if you get angry at your partner and you want to say something or to do something to punish him or her, it is the concentration on impermanence that can help. 
Don't say anything. Don't do anything. Close your eyes. Breathe in and visualize your beloved one 300 years from now. (laughs) What I become, I will become in 300 years. What my beloved one will become in 300 years. Maybe a cloud. (laughs) So it takes only a few seconds for you to see And when you open the eye, you don't want to punish anymore. You are aware that your beloved one is impermanent, and she is still alive in front of you. So you cherish her presence, and what you want to do now is not to punish, but to to hold her in your arms, to breathe in and out, say, darling, I know you are still alive. I'm so happy and you get out of that anger, of that desire to punish. So this is a practice of concentration and not philosophy. The fourteen is contemplating non-craving. The object of craving may be maybe wealth, maybe fame, maybe power, maybe sex, and we may believe that without grasping it, it will be impossible for us to be happy. But the fact is that uh, we often ignore the danger of pleasure-seeking. We have the natural tendency to seek for pleasure. We have the natural tendency to avoid suffering. We do not see the goodness of suffering. We do not see the danger of pleasure seeking. And that object of pleasure may destroy our body and our mind. And we are looking and running after it. A fish saw a very appealing bait. And if she wants to bite, but if she, she knows that there is a hook inside, she will never bite. There is a danger. If she bites and then she hook up and die. So the object of our craving may contain a lot of danger in that. And many have destroyed the body and the mind just because of the object of, uh, of craving. And that is why Contemplating non-craving is a kind of concentration that helps you to be free. And it is possible to have deep happiness 
without running after the objects of craving. When you have the kingdom of God with you, when you have understanding and love in you, every moment of your daily life can be a happy moment. You don't have to run after these objects of craving anymore. It's like that uh, peasant in the gospel. After having discovered that treasure, he gave up everything. He just keep the treasure. That is the kingdom of God. The 15th is contemplating extinction. Extinction here is the extinction of fire, the cooling of flames. The flames are craving, anger, violence, despair. It is nirvana. Nirvana came from the household language in India. It, it was not a philosophical term in the beginning. It was not a <coughs> religious term in the beginning. The peasants in the morning before they they cook breakfast they touch uh, the the place where they uh, they cook and the ash is completely cool because uh, the fire is completely extinct and they don't risk burning their fingers that is state of cooling no burning anymore no fire anymore so that is uh, state of nirvana. Nirvana is cooling. Nirvana means the extinction of fire. State of cooling, very pleasant. No afflictions, no fear, no anger, no craving. If uh, we have discrimination, if we have anger, if we have uh, wrong perceptions, and that will create a lot of uh, fear and uh, anger and these are afflictions, they are flames burning. So, if we want to extinguish all these kind of uh, burning, we have to, to touch the nature of interbeing. The ultimate reality, God. Resting in God. Resting in God. Or touching nirvana is the same. And we have to remove all notions, including the notion of birth and death, being and non-being. Because these notions bring up a lot of uh, fear and anger and suffering. And this is the deepest uh, of the teaching.
in the beginning of this talk, we have considered, we have looked deeply into the notion of birth and death. This no birth and death. Because if birth exists, and then you have to say that to be born is from non-being, you pass into the realm of being. And to die means from the realm of being, you pass into the realm of non-being. But if you observe things around, you see nothing like that. Nothing is born, nothing dies. Suppose we draw a line from left to right, representing time, and we pick up one point and call it B, birth. And because we have to pick to pick up B, we have to search for D, because if there is a birth, there must be death. So we believe that uh, the moment we, we are born, be, we begin to be. And we continue to be until we reach the point D. And this uh, segment BD is uh, representing being. But before B, we did not exist. And the section ending with B, we term it non-being. And when we come to D, uh, from being, we pass to non-being again. And that is the way we think of birth and death, and being and non-being, which the Buddha described as wrong views. And wrong views create flames that burn. And that is why a deep looking into the nature of reality helps us to remove the notion of birth, the notion of death, the notion of being, the notion of non-being. Because uh, if, we, if we believe in birth, and then we also believe in non-being and, non- and being, because birth is from non-being, you be you pass into the realm of being. And to die means from the realm of being, you pass into the realm of non-being. And there are scientists who say that there is no beginning, no birth, like Lavoisier. And there are other scientists who believe there is a beginning. And that is why they have to, to to think about how the cosmos begins and how the cosmos will be destroyed. And that is why you have the theory of Big Bang as the beginning of the cosmos. And if we think that there must be a Big Bang, we have to 
to agree that there will be a big crunch later on. <laughs> so that's not very scientific. <coughs> and uh, touching extinction means extinction of all flames and of all notions that have given birth of these uh, afflictions. Imagine a wave coming up and going down. And if she, she's caught by the notion of beginning, ending, going up, going down, high, low, she is or she is not, she will suffer a lot because of, the, no, of these notions of uh, beginning, ending, going up, going down, higher or lower than other waves, existing or non-existing. All these notions make the wave suffer very deeply. But if the wave knows how to meditate, the wave uh, realizes that she is water. And the moment she knows that she is water, she's no longer afraid. She get, she, she, she laughs going up and she laughs going down. She's no longer, she no longer described her as having a beginning ending because she is water. And the fact that she, the wonderful fact is that she, she does not have to go and search for water because she is water in the here and the now. The nature of no birth, no death. God is her own nature. So resting in God means to transcend all notions of birth and death, beginning and ending, being and non-being. There are theologians who describe God as the ground of being like Paul Tillich. But if God is the ground of being, who will be the ground of non-being? God, the ultimate truth, transcends both the notion of being and non-being. That is why to be, or not to be, that is, that, that is no longer the question. So nirvana is the extinction of all, all notions, and that is uh, cooling all the flames of afflictions, and that is the ultimate aim of the practice. And God is the ultimate, God is nirvana, God is the ultimate reality that transcends all notions of birth and death, being and non-being, all these notions cannot apply to God. They cannot be applied to a way, to a cloud, not to say uh, apply to God. And um, if we have uh, that uh, that uh, inside of of uh, interbeing. We touch the nature of, of no birth and no death. We are free from fear. 
at the moment when we when the, this body disintegrates, there is no fear at all, and we can laugh like uh, the wave. Dear friends, we have been we have had four days together practicing and watering the good seeds in us. We hope that uh, the practice will continue. The retreat is not going to die. The the retreat is going on with our practice. And we should try to organize so that the practice of selective watering and others will continue for the sake of our happiness and the happiness of our people, our country. And we hope, uh, uh, we wish you all a happy continuation with the practice. And uh, we continue in the future. Thank you for having come and spent time uh, practicing with us. <laughs>